because we're going into the Brave New World scenario at a gallop. A socialist-controlled society with the fascists at the top, of course, where every part of your life from birth to death will be planned for you. There'll be no guesswork involved. A lot of people will like socialism because they don't like having to make big decisions on anything. But then there's others who don't like it at all. H.G. Wells, in his own book called The Open Conspiracy, said thousands will die fighting this new world order. And no doubt they're ready for that too. We'll watch them build up an army to take care of that. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. As I said before, I'm trying to give shortcuts to especially the young who will live through the worst of the big changes that already are in fact. In fact, if they go to school, they're definitely living through big changes because there's a new indoctrination going on at school, preparing their minds for a totalitarian type system, which they'll think is all quite normal. After all, they're getting padded down going into school and padded while they're in school and that's going to be their life from then on in, in city street or adulthood this is how it's done and you thought the Nazi system was dead with World War II people thought the Nazis were all in Germany Nazism was a philosophy and it was meant to be an international philosophy you always find the same things happen in totalitarian regimes they set the army on the public eventually that was something the founding fathers of America were well aware of that's why they also had big discussions about whether they should or should not have a standing army some of them got around that by creating what they called the marines technically not the army but they are army regardless and this is the standard thing this article I'm going to read this is the standard thing that happens in a militarized society. They want us to be a militarized society as part, this one step towards the brave new world. There are many steps to go, but this is one part of it, the Orwellian phase before we go into the Huxleyan phase. Sometimes they overlap. We know that they're doing that with the genetic engineering. They create new types of creatures and humans, etc. They will take over from the old type, the old man, yesterday's man as the term is called. And in the, mo in the process, too, they're getting us used to, as I say, a militarized society. They want a war scenario with rationing, people being moved and evacuated, refugees, all of that, for this hundred years war. A hundred years to bring all of their brave new world utopia into being and reduce the population at the same time. It's interesting, too, how they... They've convinced the public and are still convincing them that we are all the problem. We caused it all, apparently. All of us. We who are given a system of produce and consume, while the elite have now changed their system into a post-industrial and post-technological society. We're just useless eaters now. So that's our fault. Even though we're going on producing and consuming, that's our fault that we're doing so, apparently. And who says this? The big foundations all say it. 
Even the Canadian Green Party has come out with this manifesto on the need to reduce the population. That doesn't surprise me if you look at the history of the Green Party. And remember the colour green is tremendously popular right now and the different lodges they have in the mystery of religion with this blue and this black and this red and the green. All part of it. And who started up the Green Party? Someone's father, who was the best pal of Stalin. Look into it and you'll find that out. This is from the armytimes.com. It's from September 2008. Brigade Homeland Tour starts October 1st. Third Infantry First BCT trains for a new dwell time mission. Helping people at home. Help military with guns will help people at home may become a permanent part of the active army. By Gina Cavallaro, September the 8th, 2008. The third Infantry Division's first brigade combat team. This is the combat team. We've spent 35 of the last 60 months in Iraq, patrolling in full battle rattle, as they call it, helping restore essential services and escorting supply convoys. Now, remember what I just read here. Restoring essential services and escorting supply convoys. Now they're training for the same mission with a twist at home. The same mission right, with a twist at home. Beginning October the 1st for 12 months, the 1st BCT will be under the day-to-day control of U.S. Army North, the Army Service Component of Northern Command, that's NORTHCOM, as an on-call Federal Response Force for natural or man-made emergencies and disasters, including terrorist attacks. It's not the first time an active duty, unit duty, has been tapped to help at home. In August 2005, for example, where Hurricane Katrina unleashed hell in Mississippi and Louisiana, several active duty units were pulled from various posts and mobilized to those areas, and so was Blackwater, by the way. But this new mission marks the first time an active unit has been given a dedicated assignment to NORTHCOM, a joint command established in 2002 to provide command and control for federal homeland defense efforts and coordinate defense support of civil authorities. After the first BCT finishes its dwell time mission, expectations are that another, as yet unnamed, active duty brigade will take over and that mission will be a permanent one. Now, I've I've told you before that when the U.S. is finishing off its job in the Middle East, the big eating machine, this big military eating machine will be brought back home, and that's what's happening. And it'll still be eating, believe you me. Right now, the response force requirement will be an enduring mission, how the Defense Department chooses to source that, and where or not they continue to assign them to NORTHCOM, that could change in the future, said Army Colonel Louis Vogler, Chief of NORTHCOM Future Operations. Now the plan is to assign a force every year. There was one after the other coming in as there ones going out. The command is at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs, Colorado, but the soldiers with 1st BCT, who returned in April after 15 months in Iraq, will operate out of their home post at Fort Stewart, Georgia, where they'll be able to go to school, spend time with their families, and train for the new homeland mission, as well as the the counterinsurgency missions in the war zones. Stop loss will not be in effect.
effect, so soldiers will be able to leave the army or move to new assignments during the mission, and the operational tempo will be variable. I'm going to scroll down here to the interesting part, because they go on to tell us some of the things they'll be doing at home. They may be called upon to help with civil unrest and crowd control, or to deal with potentially horrific scenarios such as massive poisoning and chaos in response to a chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, or high-yield explosive, or CBRNE, attack. Training for homeland scenarios has already begun at Fort Stewart and includes specialty tasks such as knowing how to use the jaws of life to extract a person from a mangled vehicle. Remember, this is written by a PR specialist. They have their own department. Everything the public is given to the press from the military it goes through a PR management team. It says extra medical training for CBRNE incident and working with U.S. Forestry Services experts on how to go in with chainsaws and cut and clear trees to clear a road or area. But this is, this is only the start of it. It says the soldiers will also learn how to use the first ever non-lethal package, a non-lethal package that the Army has fielded. First BCT Commander Colonel Roger Cloutier said, referring to crowd and traffic control equipment and non-lethal weapons designed to subdue unruly or dangerous individuals without killing them. It's a new modular package of non-lethal capabilities that they're fielding. They've been using pieces of it in Iraq, but this is the first time that these modules were consolidated and this package fielded. And because of this mission we were undertaking, we were the first to get it. The package includes equipment to stand up, a hasty roadblock, spike strips for slowing, stopping, or controlling traffic that want to rip your tires, shields and batons, and beanbag bullets. And then we get to the usual sort of PR stuff that sort of lessens the impact of what I've just been talking about, try a bit of comedy into it, as they always do. I can't think of a more noble mission than this, said Cloutier, who took command in July. We've been all over the world during this time of conflict, and our mission is to take care of citizens. I like the way you say that, take care of citizens at home with these modular packages. Eh? And the medic, depending on where an event occurred, you're, you're going home to take care of your hometown, your loved ones, where I guess we'll, they'll, they'll probably uh, taser them. So there's, your, there's the beginning of the open, the open militarization as they prepare for something that's going to happen. Now, tie that in with the 90-page document that's on my website from the, the Department of Defense in Britain. It's also the main think tank for NATO when they foresee 30 years of rioting across the Western world. Riots because of unemployment, riots because of escalating prices, and riots because of shortage of food and other essentials. It's not hard to put it together. And we should take these things very, very seriously. I told you before, the military is always used under tyrants to be turned on their own people. Look into the histories of Europe, something they found out all too well. All too well, because every country in Europe at some time or another turned the military on its public. That's a standard thing they do. Quite interesting. And while that's going on, we have the eugenicists, all part of this whole agenda is the eugenic agenda, 
Look at all the big foundations, look into what they're promoted, look into the Rockefellers and others, and you'll find they're all eugenicists. They don't believe in keeping surplus herd around, and the public are the herd to them, you see. If you have a, a good job to benefit them at the top, uh, then they'll tolerate you. But if you don't serve them well enough, they want to eliminate you. As I said before, they claim there's too many of us, and all I could do is look at the Nazi regime. And the communist regime, you didn't see many cripples walking around the Soviet Union because they were doing the same darn thing there as Nazi Germany was doing. And that was killing off what they called the medically or mentally unfit. And I'm going to talk about this right after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just before the break, I was talking about how the same Nazi-type philosophy started in the Nazi Germany uh, system with euthanasia. Before World War II started, euthanasia of what they called the fit, the unfit, the, the mentally subnormal, and even the elderly, and crippled people too. And as I say, if you look into the Soviet policies, I don't think they were any different, to be honest with you. We know that in China, for instance, which is a communist country, believe it or not, it's a strange mixture of communism and capitalism, but it was founded by the West, so I'm not surprised. In China, they allow many of the orphans to die. And here's the Mail Online in good old Britain, again, the home of democracy. And it says here, all people with dementia have a duty to die, a duty to die. That's very British, you see. Because this new world order, you see, you, you will have a duty to serve the world state. That's their own terms for it. A duty to die and should be pushed towards death to Baroness Warnock. She's one of the elite, you know, one of the, 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 the special elite interbred types. This is by Steve Doughty, 19th of September, 2008. Elderly people with dementia are wasting the lives of those who have to care for them, one of the country's most influential experts on medical ethics said yesterday. Baroness Warnock, what the name's Warnock, said that for the old and sick who are contemplating dying, there's nothing wrong with feeling you ought to do so. I wonder if she's talking about herself. I somehow don't think she is. Her remarks in an interview with a church journal were the first public suggestion from any expert with close links to Whitehall, that's the British government, that euthanasia should not only be legal, but that elderly people should be pressed towards death. Lady Warnock said, if you are demented, you're wasting people's lives, your family's lives, and you're wasting the resources of the National Health Service. Her remarks were condemned as shocking ignorance and barbaric by Alzheimer's charities. Right-to-life groups furiously attacked her, and fellow supporters of euthanasia of telling the public they want a right to choose while privately supporting compulsory killing. Lady Warnock, 84, was the head of the committee which during the 1980s opened the way for legal research on human embryos. She's a real charmer, this woman, a real, real charmer, one of the real old school types. But there's lots of them, lots of them over there. And in Anyway, I'm glad they're, they're really showing their hand and their face for the first time. These are the same ones that pushed abortion on the public. You know, the lower classes, 
because they were terrified we'd outbreed them. And that was written about by Charles Galton Darwin, one of the elite himself, in his book called The Next Million Years. I continue with this one here. Influential in education as well as in medical ethics, she became an open supporter of euthanasia after her ill husband was helped to die by the doctor in 1995. She told the Church of Scotland's magazine Life and Work, I had just written an article called A Duty to Die for a Norwegian periodical. I wrote it really suggesting that there's nothing wrong with feeling you ought to do so for the sake of others as well as yourself. Now, I've told you too, this is the kind of stuff that's getting pumped into children to do with sterilization, too many people and so on, and you'll soon find young volunteers in this sci-fi world we're now living in coming forward and offering themselves as sacrifices to save the planet. I'm not kidding. That will happen. You wait and see. She added, I'm absolutely fully in agreement with the argument that if pain is insufferable, then someone should be given help to die. But I feel there is a wider argument that if someone absolutely desperately wants to die because they're a burden to their own family or the state, then I think they too should be allowed to die. What she's really saying here, a burden to the family or the state, she's talking about economic reasons. Lady Warnock first suggested that the elderly and sick should die rather than becoming a burden four years ago. In 2006, she reported an attempt by fellow peers to push through a law allowing doctors to kill patients suffering unbearable pain. Some, some 700,000 in Britain have dementia, and this is expected to double. This is another one of their weird statistics we have no proof of, actually, over the next 30 years. Rebecca Wood, chief executive of the Alzheimer's Research Trust, said, Lydia Warnock demonstrates a shocking ignorance when espousing her highly insensitive views. People with dementia can live quite comfortably and cared for properly. The solution to our dementia crisis is not euthanasia. The answer is more research so we can find new treatments, preventions, and a cure. Well, they know what causes all of this because they've given it to us. Neil Hunt of the Alzheimer's Society said, with the right care, person can live, could call it life, very late into dementia. And then you have all the different ones coming back. Uh, criticizing what she said. And make no mistake here, this isn't an accident she's come out with this. This is timed. It'll be timed when the other big agencies and foundations go to work on the same topic. And remember, repetition. Repetition is something which is very important to get it into our subconscious minds that this is a new normal thing to do. These are the same people, as I say, who started at the first and the early end, the child, the child. They wanted the unborn child destroyed, basically. They didn't want the common people to breed up. And now they're going for the other end of the spectrum, the elderly, the infirm, the sick, and so on. And it won't stop, believe you me. That's the whole thing with the pillars. The pillars all hold up the roof of the building. You knock one down, and that means it's much easier to knock the other ones down. You can't ever let them take one step forward. And you cannot ever take one step back. With these characters, there is no compromise. No compromise whatsoever. And they are on the war path. And we better, better be very, very aware of it. I'll be back with more after this, this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
life, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I'm trying to point out how we go down the slippery slope, the slope that was designed for us to go down by those who rule the world, and they always give us something with a very good reason, but there's always behind it the real reason, and we're never told the real reason until it's too late. And we have been going down this slope for a long, long time. As they created an egocentric, egocentric, hedonistic type society, encouraged everyone to go around playing like Easter bunnies and then pointing to the effects of it all and saying, my, 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 what are we going to do? We accept abortion to begin with and then we're down the slippery slope because the idea is not to save you from having to bring up a child in poor economic circumstances or any of that, it was to reduce the population across the board in the lower classes, something that was widely written about by members of the elite for the last hundred years or more, in fact, all the way back to Malthus in the 1800s. And their problem is always how to get the public to go along with it. And they put millions of dollars of propaganda into it and millions of dollars of your tax money utterly brainwashing you into your own extinction. There's another site that ties in with the last topic, and that's called LifeSiteNews.com. Thursday, November the 10th, 2005, and this one was talking about eugenics programs against the disabled and how so many of those with Down syndrome are killed before birth because it's become the new normal. And remember, too, these tests aren't always accurate. And after reading the first few paragraphs, it says here, it says, the late Tanis Doe, who had been a professor of social work at the University of Victoria, British Columbia, said in March 2004 that a prenatal Nazi-style extermination campaign is being waged against disabled in most of the Western world. Read that article, it's pretty good. There's a lot of links and other articles in this particular site. And you have to take it to heart because it does affect you. We've all been taught, you see, that whatever we do doesn't affect anyone else. That's an utter lie. Because that which becomes the normal, because most are doing something, becomes law eventually. That's the same with everything. Even the ID cards that's coming in, first they make it voluntary then it becomes the law that a certain percentage have them. That was to say with, with the driving license at one time, it wasn't compulsory initially. It was voluntary. So was insurance. Once they get enough of you on it, it becomes the law. And killing, believe you me, killing becomes the same. Look at China. China is the model state for the rest of the world, according to the United Nations. One child per family. And the neighbors are trained to drag off a woman who's pregnant with a second child. They're trained that way. It's easy to train the public, the general public. You know, the general public scare me. Mass man scares me. Because they're so easily conditioned with new normals. And they don't think at all. They react emotionally. Those who give them the new normals know this. They know how to do it. This formula. They create social approval and social disapproval. 
the same technique that's been used in the West now and the same guys behind it at the United Nations have drawn up the policies to use the same programs in the Western world. You've got to think for yourself or you're doomed. Now we'll go to the callers now. I've got Bernard from Philly. Are you there, Bernard? Hey, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, you once said that you would uh, discuss the uh, meaning of uh, the esoteric meaning of St. John the Divine's Lodge. Yeah. Could you do that? Well, you understand that St. John is a high figure in masonry. And there's different meanings to the word John itself. Uh, even the pronunciation of it and one of them you have you have uh, Jonathan which is Johan Athen or Atten Atten is always the son another level you have you have the meaning of Yone which is the female organ and you'll find lots of those in the Middle East and around Jerusalem in fact they've dug up thousands of them while they're looking for remnants of the holy people in the past they find that because the female was worshipped in ancient times uh, very much in that area but you also have the other meaning too of ion and because the, the J was silent and the pronouncement I instead so you have ion and they had the ion, island of Iona in the not the Mediterranean but up through the Aegean Sea and that was the place it was called the Temple of Fire was on that particular island and those priests were highly respected in the ancient world for their knowledge of the mysteries which we will call sciences really and so they have many meanings and of course we find too that John in the Bible was the, probably the only um, Gnostic Christian right. uh, that was allowed to be put into the Bible the rest of them were Coptic Christians and you'll find far more of the mystery religion because they always began with the word and John does start off his gospel with the word and the word became God and you know so this is uh, this is what it means there's another meaning for, say, for those in the mystery religion done through the ages as to what John stands for and uh, he definitely goes through the mystery religion don't dismiss it completely because there's a lot of truth in it a lot of truth in the mystery as well uh, although it's corrupted in modern times but he does go into the truths of, of uh, a creator who can be in you you can be in you the same kind of spirit can run through you and that's something that they go over and over in the gospel of John uh, almost overboard he's trying to get a very essential message through which all ancient Gnostics believed in um, the, the, the creator could work through people and their fellow brothers who had the same experiences could also have that same spirit running through them so you find that, that Jesus too um, says that the same spirit that, that is in me is therefore in you a uh, very important thing to understand it means that your values too everything would be much the same not because you were taught them but you came to those values through your own experiences and conclusions Okay, um, IHS, in the, uh, the Jesuits logo, what does that stand for? Well, I'm not here to answer just questions on, on language. You understand, I could give courses on these things, and it take forever. Okay. 
the tick for, for absolutely ever. But the Jesuits, after Ignatius Loyola, who did belong to the Alumbratos, the Alumbratos means illumined ones, uh, and they were the, really uh, the Spanish section of the Knights Templar. And he was caught initially uh, by the Vatican fighting against Rome, and then he was initiated into the church and became the first, what they call the first black pope. Um, his name itself, Ignatia, Ignatius, means fire starter, you see. And um, he was the one who was to start the fire, again, a illumined one. He used these terms all down through the ages. He's an igniter. And you'll, you'll find the Jesuit, if you were to look into the name of the God, that is always I am uh, the ultimate God the, the, the Yahweh one according to the mysteries is the Demiurgos the Demiurge and therefore if you were to go into some other language like such as French and you said Jesuit you say I am Jesuit would be I am Jesuit Jesuit it's all the play on words there is camouflaged uh, from the general public you know, I'm thinking, um, when I read about the history of uh, the Jesuits, I um, came to the conclusion that they were sent, that they were created to infiltrate the Catholic Church. Do you think that's the case? I've no doubt. Uh, I've no doubt they certainly brought a whole new perspective into the Catholic Church. But you've got to understand, too, the Catholic Church, from its foundations, uh, that tried to bring in the pagans, and get them to accept this new church uh, adopted so much of the pagan customs and saints which became or gods which became saints within the Catholic Church that to an extent uh, they became paganized themselves and within all the pagan religions there's a lot of the truth of the mystery religion and a lot of the allegory of the mystery religion that comes in with it the, the general public always worship the exoteric in every religion, including all pagan religions, and they seldom understand the esoteric involved within, and it was the same within the Catholic Church. So, but even at that, the, the founding of the Catholic Church uh, had tremendous impetus from the very beginning because it was a wealthy church to start with, because it was authorized by Rome, but it, was also, it also had big financial backers of its day that... Uh, that basically are the Rockefeller types that existed in those days uh, sponsored it into existence and um, because it, it put an emphasis on ob obedience and, and uh, peacefulness it became a very useful tool for those who already ruled the world and it was promoted but within the religion itself there's no doubt there's, there's a lot of truths as well and a lot of philosophies that can never be denied um, and it doesn't mean that everyone who served the Catholic Church either understood um, the inner aspects of it. Yeah. Okay, um, thanks. And uh, last question. Um, do you I'll have to go to the next caller. You've asked to the three already. Right. Okay. Now, I think we've got John from Texas there. Are you there, John? Hello? Yes, is that John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. I need to ask you some questions about um, the uh, when I was watching the Olympics and I saw all the symbolism going through the Olympics, and it takes a wide range of people to make all that symbolism go off and work correctly in the limelight. 
And um, it just amazes me how deep-rooted and deep-seated all the um, symbolism and everything is in our society. And everyone has to probably know they're doing this. It just amazes me that people are doing this without knowing. Oh, they know. They do know. They love to put big parades on in front of the public where they show all their emblems and they also mock the public for their not understanding of what they're actually seeing but enjoying it nonetheless. Now, that's part of, of how they get their kicks at the top. And there's a lot of work goes into the planning and the, the practicing, etc., and the setting up of these staged events. You're right. Yeah, you're quite right. Just one more quick question. What is the symbolism? I've seen a lot of presidential candidates and a lot of senators wearing a bee on their coupling or their suits. And, a um, That's correct. You're talking about, about the letter B or an actual insect? The natural insect, the bumblebee, basically. Oh, well, because that, that's... Um, Napoleon uh, had a cape made of golden bees that he found in... in uh, he found the, the bees in a, a sarcophagus in Egypt. They loved the bee, and that became his symbol, the beehive. And they do talk about the perfect society and how they are the worker bee working towards the great work in this perfect ordered society. Every beehive is, is strictly ordered. And they likened it to the general public with the elite at the top being royalty, getting royal jelly, and then the priesthood between them, and then the worker bees beneath. That's what they call the perfect society. And um, so they are the worker bees. So I'm not surprised they like the bee on their, on their cufflink. Yeah. yeah, that's another point of them just laughing at the public once again. Am I correct? Oh, yes, oh, absolutely. And if you take the, the letter B as well, which they, they also use in that category, it's really a, a 13. They love the, number, the letter 13 and old Malay and all the rest of it and his death. So they use the number 13. And one and, th- one and the three reversed becomes the letter B. And it's also the McDonald's logo, if you notice, turned on its side. Right. I've seen that logo, and it really amazes me now that I've uh, been seeing a lot of things that I'm awakened to in real history where our actual language came from. I'm amazed at uh, what's just been before. It's, it's truly amazing. Thank you very much. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Okay, I'll let thanks you get for coming. Thank you. Then there's Matt from Chicago. Are you there, Matt? Hi. Good evening, uh, Alan. How are you doing? Yes. Um, the other day you were talking about... Um, and the Anunnaki and how you uh, how that argument uh, makes us feel helpless. Um, I'm not arguing if, if you for Sitchin. It, yeah. I don't agree with Sitchin's uh, hypothesis. I'm more on the evolution. But the problem with evolution, though, I mean, I hear, uh, I mean, Darwinism and social Darwinism and eugenics. Um, I, I'm just curious. Uh, can you can you discuss the uh, differences between all the views of creationism, evolution, and Anunnaki? No, because I've got 10 minutes to go. And I'd take, <laughs> that would take yeah, days. No, that would take all all, all I, I said about Sitchin is this. It falls right in with a, an agenda. It was a PSYOPs operation. It falls in with that agenda, mm-hmm. in line with it, with it, which must make you, you suspect. And he literally created his own, uh, uh, the language that he just supposedly deciphered is his own special method no one else will agree with them and he's completely altered all the reality of it uh, if you read the sumerian tablets yourself it's no different from ancient india or ra of egypt 
where the, the God inseminates himself and all the rest of it has, has sex with the spirit of the air. It's all to do with spirits, understand, mm. not people. But it was meant to make you feel that if some uh, super extraterrestrial agency came in and created man to be an inferior slave, that you couldn't, then you could never beat it. And so therefore, if you swallow that, you're beaten already. Uh, that's, how you, that's how psychological operations work, is to make you feel helpless. Okay. And how could a, a slave made uh, to be puny ever defeat its creator? On the same note of that, um, Jordan Maxwell, when he talks about uh, the end of the age, uh, we're coming into the age of uh, uh, Sagittarius, I believe, uh, in Pisces right now, or Aquarius, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that's one argument. So, I mean, it sounds like possibly this could be the end of this age. And then you hear the people on the uh, Christian, uh, Christianity side, like the Council for National Policy, people pushing the, uh, the, the um, belief, uh, belief in uh, having God and Jesus in your life mm-hmm. to be able to get through this. Um, yeah. That's a, another topic that I just I, I ponder frequently. Well, ages are simply the elite's way of measuring time. And they use the stars, even in ancient times they did it too. Remember the first reasons for uh, watching and recording stars and planetary movements was, was to do with seasons and time for planting and all of this kind of stuff. But they also use it like a clock, like a, a solar clock or an, an, an annual clock. And, uh, and they do have their plans written in the heavens. And uh, they made them a long time ago. Hold on, I'll be back after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, and we've got Rick from California on the line there. And is, is there more to you want to say, Rick? Or is it Matt from Chicago? Matt. Yes. Um, no, I, well, you were talking again about the um, um, Jordan Maxwell and the ends of the age. Uh-huh. Um, say that it, it, it always, appears... they always made a time clock, basically, and gave themselves a lot of room for the agenda. And there's no doubt about it, um, the age of Pisces was uh, the age of the, 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 basically the symbol of the fish that was used, and the early Christians did use the symbol of the fish. And there's been lots of frescoes found, and they're in museums today, from the, the early missionaries that came out uh, from, from the Middle East, mainly from Egypt, actually. So they used the symbol of the age. And there's no doubt about it, Freemasonry um, in its own publications has always promoted uh, this next phase, the age of Aquarius, where supposedly they'd bring in gradually their new utopia, and of course it's going to be the hell for most of the people because they don't have much room for the profane. That means the masses in that organization. That will be the age of environmentalism. Yes. And Mother Earth. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of that. To reduce population. Uh, get rid of the, the useless eaters, as they call them. Mm-hmm. and uh, they'll have their utopia, an organized society, a planned society. If you have planned parenthood, well, this is the planned global village, and if you've got a job to do, if they need you for a task, then you might get born. If they don't, you will not. That literally is what it's boiling down to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're very, very old agenda, and these guys work in centuries, maybe thousands of years, and they certainly do work towards it. Uh, mind you, they're well rewarded for doing so at the top. 
And we've got uh, is it Rick in California there. You there, Rick? Yes, yes. You there, Alan? Yes. Okay, yeah. Somebody came in and said um, we got Rick, and it sounded like you, and it wasn't. So I think I wonder if somebody's listening in. in but um, I wanted to mention something about, you know, deep, further down in that military article you read about yeah. the troops being stationed here, it said for an earthquake in California. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't use any excuse under the sun. But if they're getting non-lethal weaponry and getting and training alongside police, uh, everybody should get their, their hair in the back of their neck standing up when military trains alongside police, especially well, active-duty troops. Yeah. What I wanted to say was that on November 13th, which is on a Tuesday, 11-13, a sacred number, um, the, the biggest Homeland Security earthquake drill in history is being conducted called the Great Shake-Up. And I went to the USGS, and they had the waves standing still on Los Angeles for big waves, like fast, like huge seismic 7.8, and the rate, they got it all mapped out. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're going to harp us, Alan. Oh, they'll use all of this. There's big towers going up across the country as well. I don't know if you've seen them. They're big, wide, thick towers, uh, a cable, occasional cameras sticking off them, but massive cables going into them. And I think it's part of the ELF control frequencies that the technotronic era um, Zygna Brzezinski was talking about. I think that's what they're setting them, them up for, all these towers. They're quite amazing structures when you see them. They're, they're definitely not the usual microwave with the drums on them and so on. These are just very, very wide uh, uh, towers, about um, uh, 30 feet high, 35 feet high. Well, then I wanted to ask a question. Um, I just got Morals and Dogma, the 1950 edition. And um, it, how significantly different is that from the 19, 1871 original edition? I don't know. I, I haven't read the later versions. Mm -hmm. It's probably pretty well on the ball, though, but uh, I've got the early versions, and that's the ones you have to try and get a hold of. Okay, well, thank you very much, Alan. Thanks for calling. Bob from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.